Good afternoon, brethren. Privileged to be here and have such a big crowd here today. I handed my dad the count here of 266, so that's a good number for us. He leaned over and he said, they all came to hear you. <laughs> I said, oh, hope they're not disappointed here. But it is nice that we can have a number of visitors here for the singles weekend. I hope things are going well with that. And your theme of the fruits of the Spirit seems to kind of make sense this weekend, does it? As we think about what this weekend is about, especially as we come into the Feast of Pentecost tomorrow, and think about what that pictures, that we, what we look to and remember, and what it means in our lives as we look back to the day when God poured out His Spirit on those people that were there that day, and for us personally, as we were called and then baptized and hands laid upon us, and we were given God's Holy Spirit. And this day, in essence, is a reminder to us of what we've been given. What an awesome and a very special, special gift that we have been given. The gift of God's Holy Spirit. It is truly something to be thankful for and to cherish as we think about it. This gift is something that's very unique as we think about different gifts that people give. It's unique in a number of different ways. The first thing that makes this gift unique is the fact that this requires us, receiving of this gift requires of us to do something first before we receive it. As we look back to Acts 2.38, after Peter had given that strong and moving sermon that the people looked and said, what are we to do? And he said, repent and be baptized and you shall receive the Spirit the Holy Spirit. They had to repent first. And so for us to have received God's Spirit, we have had to repent. And about 3,000 people that day were baptized. They were put under the water and they were baptized and they were given God's Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it have been awesome to have been there that day, to have experienced that, to first of all have seen what happened there in that room as Peter and the others got up and spoke those tongues of fire, those flames of fire, having heard them in all those different languages, all the different peoples, hearing one man speak, but each of them in their own tongue. And then at the end of it, to see 3,000 people get baptized. I've been able to baptize a few people before. It would take a little while to baptize 3,000 people, I think. Just a few minutes. But it would have been a wonderful, wonderful thing. Secondly, this gift, this is a gift that carries with it the promise of far greater gifts, doesn't it? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians in chapter 1. And we'll be in verse 21. Here we see this promise and what it's about. Where, he, where Paul writes, Now he who establishes us with you is Christ and has anointed or consecrated, set us apart. We have been consecrated, has anointed us in God as part of God's family. He has given us his Holy Spirit. In Acts 10.38, Peter was talking to Cornelius, and he talked about how God had anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus was anointed and given this same spirit that we have been given as a human being. 
It was with power, though. It was the Holy Spirit, but it was with power. We've been given that as well. In verse 22, he goes on to write, Who has also sealed us. God has sealed us. He has set his mark on us. He has made us special. We are his people called out of this world to be different, to be peculiar. That's what he has done. He has set us apart. He has set his mark on us. He has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The spirit is in our heart. The, the most innermost part of our body. And it's a guarantee we heard in the sermonette about God's promises. This Holy Spirit, this guarantee that we have been given is sure. It is true. It's a gift that is an earnest. That guarantee, that word that's used there as, and translated as guarantee there is actually in the, new, in the King James Version. It has given the earnest of the Spirit. It's like putting earnest money down. It's a down payment for something future that we are to receive in full. Paul writes about in this same theme over in Ephesians chapter 1. Let's turn over there next. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll begin here in verse 11. In him... Also, we have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance is something that you don't have yet, but it is something that is promised to you. If your father has made out a will and he has said, this is your inheritance, you will receive it at a given time. Typically in this life as human beings when we die. And this inheritance also is promised to us, not when our father in heaven dies, but in essence when our physical body dies is when we will receive this inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. See, it's God's purpose that we have this. It's according to his will that we have been given the Holy Spirit. We have not been given it because we went out and took it. It's according to his will. It's a gift. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory, in him you also trusted after your heart the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. There's that word sealed again that we read earlier. We are sealed. We're set apart. We're made special to God. Who is the guarantee? As the word who here, of course, should be which. Holy Spirit is not a person. But that Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. It's that guarantee. It's that, there's that word guarantee. The same word that we looked at earlier. We talked about that earnest. It's that down payment. It's just a little bit. It's just a tiny little bit. But it's a promise. It's guaranteed that we will receive it. As he said, it, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We've been promised a wonderful and an awesome inheritance, and we should be very thankful for it. We have been given just a little taste of it now. A little taste of it, but it's something that is conditional. Our receiving that promise, having that guarantee, is conditional 
upon our obedience. It's conditional upon what God has told us to do. That if we do not love him and we do not obey him, we will not receive that promise. We have got to do something if we are going to receive the full balance of the inheritance that we have been guaranteed. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, next. This whole chapter goes through a lot of what we're talking about today. And you can just write it down in your notes, perhaps, as you go into the Pentecost this evening, tomorrow morning. Read through the whole chapter here. I don't have time to do it in the sermon today. But it's all very apropos to what we're talking about and to God's Holy Spirit. In verse 12, in chapter 12, verse 1, we read, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Spiritual gifts. That's what we're talking about. He, God doesn't want us to be ignorant. He wants to understand what the gift is, what it's all about, what it means. Dropping down to verse 4, there are diversities of gifts. There's different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. We've all been given the same spirit. It's not different spirits. It's the same. But we've all been given different gifts. We're all a little bit different. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in all. He works in us through that Holy Spirit that we have been given. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. You see that? We are given this Holy Spirit, not just for ourselves, not just to save ourselves, so to speak, Mankind out there in this world just looks to save himself. They're about themselves. But what this tells us is that this gift that we can have been given is for the profit of all. God expects us to use this gift that we have been given. Not just to keep it to ourselves, but to use it for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. My father has been focused on this gifts of healing and praying that God will begin to pour that out on his church more and more. But we have got to seek him. We have got to have that faith. We all need to have the gift of faith. We all have to try to build that faith so that we can have more of the gifts of healing. And he goes on to talk about the other different types of gear of spirit, in essence, gifts of the spirit on through there. Dropping down to verse 13, he says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We are one body. We are all brothers and sisters. We have all been begotten by the same father. We are blood brothers, spiritually speaking. We need to appreciate that and remember that as we think about serving one another, as we think about using the spirit that we've been given to profit others, to help others, to serve others. Dropping down here, down into verse 18, he says, he goes on and writes, but now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, they would, 
but where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members and yet one body. We're many different people. We do many different things. We all have different talents. We all have different gifts given to us. But we are all part of the same body. And as such, we have to work together to do the work that God has given us to do. Individually in our lives, we've got to work hard to provide for our families. But also, as we are working hard to provide for our families, we are working hard to do the work of God so that with what God blesses us with, we can, as we heard about in the sermonette, be blessed by giving the tithes and offerings to God. We have an opportunity to come here tomorrow and give an offering, a special offering. We should be thankful for that. We should look forward to that. We should plan for that. But we've all been called and given different jobs to do. We can't all be the head of the church. We can't all be ministers. But we can all serve one another. And that's all a minister really is. He's a servant. We're here to serve you just as you are all here to serve one another. We have all got to work together using God's spirit to guide us and lead us to work with us. Verse 26, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is, is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And so we remember those who are suffering and we pray for them. We try to help others who are going through difficult times and do that we can to serve them. Verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Are all working of workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No. We all do different things within the body. But here he says then in verse 31, But earnestly desire the best gifts. And now I show you a more excellent way. And so we should desire the best gifts. We have been given a gift. It is the absolute best gift. But we should also desire the best gifts when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. So that we can use those gifts to help and to serve others. To do everything that we can to give our lives to God. And he, go, and he says there at the end there, And yet I show you a more excellent way. And what way did he show us? As you go into chapter 13... We go into what we call the love chapter that talks about love and how important it is to have love. We need to love one another. We need to be willing to give our lives for one another. We need to make sure that we are desiring those best gifts. But the gifts that we desire are to be profitable for all. So that we can use those gifts that we've been given to help others, to serve others. And that's the third thing that makes this gift so unique. Is that we are told that we are to take this gift and use it to serve others. To be profitable for all. The gift we've been given is unique. But yet it is a wonderful and an awesome thing that we have to look forward to when we see ultimately what this gift will lead to. God expects us to take this gift and 
be profitable for other people in using this gift. God expects us to use the Holy Spirit to serve Him and to serve our fellow man as best we can. It's not something that we can just hold on to and say, okay, I've got God's Spirit now. That's all I need. Just me and you, Lord. That's not good enough. That isn't good enough. You can't just move up and live on some mountaintop in Nepal or something and sit in your little, your little hut the rest of your life. That isn't going to be pleasing to God. That isn't going to do it. You can say, well, I can go up there and I can never sin. Well, you can. You can sin. And you are not doing what God wants you to do and what He's told us to do. To take this gift that He's given us and to use it to serve others. It's a, it's a gift that has to be an active, integral part of our lives. God has given us this Holy Spirit, but along with it, He's bestowed upon us the gifts with which we can serve others, which we can help others. And He expects us to use the power of the Holy Spirit to do that, to use this gift that He has given us. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 tells us that we are to not quench the Spirit. You don't quench it. You don't want to put it out. You want to build up a fire within you. Not allowing that fire to go out, but to keep it burning brightly. If you quench the Spirit by moving up on some mountaintop, you're not going to have it. You're not going to be able to keep it. How do you quench the Spirit? Turn over to Matthew chapter 25. Begin in verse 14. In this first part of the chapter 14, we see the parable of the, of the, of the virgins, the wise virgins, the foolish virgins. Once again, even as you read this whole chapter, you have to remember what it was written after. In Matthew 24, God talking about what is going to happen, about the terrible things that are going to come upon this world, that we in this day and age are at that time that we are going to live through it, a lot of us. We're going to see these things happen. And then he warns us in the very next chapter here of what we better make sure that we watch out for, that we don't allow to come on us. As he looks at the parable of the virgins that who didn't have oil in their lamps, they didn't have enough of God's Holy Spirit. But then in verse 14, he goes through the next parable and he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his servants and delivered his goods to them. And he gave to one five talents, to another two, and to another one. Diversities of the Spirit. He's given different gifts to different people. But it doesn't matter what gift we've been given. We better be doing something with it. And that's what this parable is telling us. And so he went on his journey. And we know what happened. I don't need to go through and read the whole story. The one who had five talents went out and used those talents. And he got and gained five more. And the one who had two went out and gained two more. And the one who had one went out and he dug a hole and he put it in the hole. He didn't do anything with it. He had his talent. He said, I'm just going to hang on to it. Just going to keep it safe and tight with me. I don't have to do anything with it. But what happened to him? Verse 26. Well, let's pick it up in verse 25. And I was, so the man says, well, I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. 
Look, there you have what is yours. Look, God, here's what you gave me. And I have it right here. Exactly what you gave me. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back mine own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who is more will be given, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. He took it away from him. He took his talent from him. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. He cast him out into outer darkness. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you want to be cast out? As you think and look into Revelation, and you see what happens in the end, those that are cast into the fiery lake of fire and will live no more because they didn't take the gift that they have been given and they didn't use it. They didn't use it to produce anything. Unto whom much is given is much required. But if we use what we've been given... And we build it. And we build upon it and help others and build others with it. We will be blessed and given even more. That's a promise. You can take that one to the bank. That's for sure. John 15. We read what happens to those who do not use what has been given to them. Verse 1, he writes, I am the true, Jesus Christ talking here, I am the true vine, my Father and the vine is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more. See, God is going to put us through trials and tests so that we can actually produce more. But if we aren't producing anything, we aren't even trying, it says he gets rid of it. He throws it away. Abide in me, verse 4, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. We can't bear fruit if Jesus Christ is not working in us, if He is not living His life in us. If we do not have God's Holy Spirit, we cannot produce good fruit. We have to abide in Him. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. I don't want to be burned and I don't know. I'm sure no one else in this room does either. So what does that mean I better be doing? What is that telling me? What should we be doing? We've been given a gift. We had better use it or we will lose it. The title of my sermon today is Use It or Lose It. If we don't use the gift that we've been given, we will have it taken away and we will be cast out and we will be burned in the fire. 
we had better make sure that we are doing all that we need to do to please our great God and to use this gift that he has given us to do much, to produce everything we can produce, to be all we can be in God's army. That's what we need to be doing. Turn over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Here's the admonition that Paul gives us in verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He's telling the people there that you need to take this gift that you have been given through my laying hands on you. You have received the Holy Spirit. You have received a gift. You had better stir it up. You had better use it. Stir up that gift of God that is in you. For the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Just as we read earlier about Jesus Christ being given that spirit with power. We are given that same spirit of power. Of love. So that we can truly understand how to love one another. Not the way the world loves because they don't understand what true love is all about. We love one another. We serve one another. And of a sound mind. God says, I've given you a power that will give you a sound mind. You don't have to have the fears and phobias the rest of the world has, fearing all of these things. Because if you love me, you will put your life in my hands and you will know that I will take care of you no matter what. You don't have to fear. Perfect love casts out fear. That's the kind of love that we have to have. If we have a perfect love for our great God, we will not have the fear that a lot of people out there in this world have. There are so many phobias out there, you can't even begin to name them all. If we have God's Spirit, we shouldn't have those. That shouldn't be a part of us. As we look through the Scriptures, we know that it's, God uses a lot of physical parallels for spiritual concepts. Having the Spirit of God taken away because we don't use it is an interesting parallel to the Spirit in man. Job 32, Job writes, There is a Spirit in man. We have been given a Spirit. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. He's talking about the Spirit in man that makes us different. And the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding you see, God, when He created man, He made us different. You go back to Genesis chapter 2 when He talks about God breathed into man, into His nostrils, the breath. He gave Him something special, something that was unique and different, something that gives us an ability to understand differently than the rest of the animal kingdom out there, who many of which have very similar type brains and all. In Mr. Armstrong's Mystery of the Ages, he writes, chapter or page 103, the physical brain of the higher vertebrates in the animal kingdom is essentially the same in physical form, design, consistency as the human brain. The brains of whales, elephants, dolphins are larger, and chimps almost as large. Yet the output of the human brain is indescribably greater. Few indeed know why. Many passages of Scripture show that there is a spirit in man. 
Spirit is not matter, and man is matter. To distinguish it from God's Holy Spirit, I designate it as the human spirit. Nevertheless, it is the spirit, it is spirit and not matter. This human spirit imparts the power of intellect to human physical brains. The spirit cannot see, hear, taste, smell, or feel. The brain sees through the eye, hears through the ear, etc. The human spirit cannot of itself think. The physical brain thinks. What then is the function of this human spirit? Is it not a soul? But, number one, it imparts the power of intellect, of thinking, and of mind power to the human brain. And number two, it is the very means God has instilled making possible a personal relationship between human man and divine God. Without this spirit in man, we can't even have the relationship with God. We have to have that first. But what about this? What about this spirit in man? It's interesting to note that according to research, if we don't use our brains, we lose them. An article here entitled, More Brain Search Suggests Use It or Lose It, from Science Daily. In Queensland, Queensland Bain Institute, Scientists have found another important clue why nerve cells die in neurodegenerative diseases based on studies of the developing brain. Neuroscientists at the University of Queensland have just published findings which add more weight to the use it or lose it model for brain function. QBI's Dr. Elizabeth Colson said a baby's brain generates roughly double the number of nerve cells it needs to function with those cells that receive both chemical and electrical stimuli surviving and the remaining cells dying. In research published in the Journal of Neuroscience, Dr. Colson and her colleagues have identified a crucial step in the cell death process. It appears that if a cell is not appropriately stimulated by other cells, it self-destructs, Dr. Colson said. You see, if, if your brain cells aren't being stimulated, they die. We know that a lack of both chemical and electrical stimuli causes the cells to self-destruct. But we believe that nerve cells will survive if appropriate electrical stimuli are produced to block and self-destruct to block the self-destruct process that we have identified. You see, they identified the fact that if you don't use your brain and it isn't being stimulated, your brain cells actually die. If we think about it from a physical standpoint of our physical bodies, it's much the same, isn't it? If we don't use our physical bodies and, and exercise and build them up that way, physically speaking, we, beget, we become weak. Our muscles begin to atrophy. You've got to get out there and do it every day, day after day after day. If you're not exercising regularly, you don't have the same energy. You don't have the same stamina. God has bestowed upon us the wonderful gift of his Holy Spirit. And when it's combined with the Spirit in man, it gives us great power. Great power. But as we see, if we don't use it, if we don't use that great power and be working and doing what we can 
to help and serve others, we will lose it. We've got to use it to help him, to, I mean, to serve God. And as I said, to serve one another. We can't just sit back and take it easy and say, I've got it made now. I'm baptized. I've got God's spirit. Now that's it. God's spirit will guide us. It will lead us. Sometimes God will even kind of drag us kicking and screaming places we may not want to go. But ultimately, hopefully, we'll realize this is what God wants for us. I am here because God wants me here. And we will look to him and realize that we want to please him. God will do and give us every chance to be a part of his family. But we have got to make that effort to put ourselves out there and to be doing and using what he has given us to help and to serve others, to serve him. In Acts 9, God kind of dragged Paul kicking and screaming, didn't he? He knocked him down. He blinded him. But Paul realized this is God. This is what he wants me to do. And he turned around immediately and made the changes in his life and began to preach the gospel and to strongly serve God with all of his heart for the rest of his life. It isn't always an easy thing to do. We've got to make that decision. Are we going to love our God? Are we going to give our lives to him? Are we going to spend the rest of our lives serving him? Are we really, really willing to do that? We were told to count the cost before we were baptized. Count the cost and make sure this is really what you want to do. This is really what is important to you. As I said, the Holy Spirit within us is an incredible power that we can't even fully comprehend. But if we don't use it, we will lose it. We've got to use that power. What if somebody gave you the fastest, most powerful car there was? Girls probably don't care that much. For you guys, it means much more to you, doesn't it? What if somebody said, here is the fastest car in the world? I was walking down the street in Berlin, Germany, after the feast last year with my wife. And she would have walked right on by, but I looked in the window and I'm like, wow, that's a really nice car. So I went in the showroom and I took some pictures of it. It's the fastest, most powerful car that man makes that's street legal. It's got over a thousand horsepower. It does over 250 miles an hour. Oh, Okay. Sounded even better, guys? Top speed, over 250 miles an hour. These cars that are racing up here this weekend, they can't even go that fast. This car will outrun them. Price tag, $2,250,000 just before taxes. Now, if you had that car, would you just stick it in the garage and look at it and say, well, that's pretty. Isn't that nice? Or would you actually get out there and drive it? Get on the Autobahn. That's, where, that's really where you've got to drive it, because in this country, they don't let you do that. But the Autobahn, that's a place to drive. 
going down the road 100 miles an hour in here in this country can't do that. Over there, if you're going 100, you're in the slow lane because they're blowing your doors off. I've been there, and it's amazing. As exhilarating as it might be to drive this car down the Autobahn and on a racetrack, it's not nearly and doesn't hold a candle to what God has in store for us, to what the Holy Spirit will do in us and will once we have it fully and we are spirit. Our minds can't even comprehend the promise that we have been given. When we think about speed, we think about what is the fastest speed there is. You think, well, the speed of light is pretty fast, isn't it? 671 million miles an hour. 186,000 miles per second. That's pretty fast, isn't it? It takes light approximately 8 minutes and 19 seconds to get from the sun to the earth. Because the sun's quite a ways away, isn't it? But when we look at the galaxy that we are in and the distances that it takes to get from one place to another, at the speed of light, it would take 25,000 years to get to the nearest galaxy. 25,000 years at the speed of light. That's quite a while. It would take 100,000 years to get across the Milky Way. It would take 2.5 million years from the Andromeda galaxy to Earth. That's a lot. How about from the furthest galaxy that is observed by mankind from Earth to that point? Guess how far that would be at the speed of light? 13 billion years. That's at the speed of light. If we think about even like the space shuttle traveling at 25,000 miles an hour, it would take 494 trillion years. Add a couple of zeros to that, how long it would take that Bugatti Veyron to get there. We've been given an awesome, an awesome promise. We have something incredible to look forward to. I just want to whet your appetite a little bit to say, is it really worth it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's worth it to think that we can go across this galaxy to the furthest galaxy that man knows like that. We can't even comprehend what God has given us. Buzz Lightyear doesn't hold a candle to it. To infinity and beyond, yes, we will go to infinity and beyond because infinity is constantly expanding. Mankind realizes that, that this universe is expanding and it will continue to do so. I don't think any of us are going to be blasting across this universe in this physical life, of course. But I just want us to think about it. What we have been given of that earnest is just a tiny little down payment of that spirit that we have to look forward to. My dad always talks about the church being a half a peanut shell in the Pacific Ocean. We're just, we're just a little tiny drop in that peanut shell of the amount of God's Holy Spirit compared to what we will have. We can't comprehend it. It's awesome. But as I said, if we don't use it, if we aren't exercising it constantly, building ourselves up spiritually, 
going to God, asking him for that help, asking him to give more of his Holy Spirit to us so that we can then use it to help others, to serve others. We're going to end up losing it. A person who's in good shape physically is in tune with his body. Now, some of us think that round is a good shape. But let's not talk about the physical. Let's talk about the spiritual. Are you in good shape spiritually? As you physically build up your bodies, if you're not working out, you realize when you get out to exercise, if you haven't done it for a week or two, ooh, I haven't, I haven't been exercising. You can kind of feel it. Do you realize that spiritually? Turn over to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 25. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. Sound familiar? Many things from many physicians. People go to hospitals and they get sick. Imagine that. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? You see, he was so in tune with himself, spiritually speaking, that when spiritual power was drained from him, he realized it. He felt it. He knew something just changed. Something just went out of me. And we know he healed her. He did. But as he says here in, in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. It was according to her faith that Jesus was in tune with his spiritual body. And that is what we have to make sure that we are as well. That we are in tune with what God is working in us. That we realize when we are not spiritually as strong as we should be. Sometimes life just gets difficult and rough and you're just going and going and going and you just don't have to seem to have enough. Seem to have enough time to pray, to study, to fast, to do those things that will build you up spiritually. We better realize when we are getting weak physically, we need to make changes. But when we are getting weak spiritually, we need to make sure that we make those changes as well. We've got to have that deep faith in God and go to him and say, God, please help me. Give me back my strength and my power. This woman was healed because of her faith, faith in, the, in God and in, in Jesus Christ, and that she knew that if she could just touch him, she would be healed. That's an awesome thing. When God heals us. That's an awesome thing. When God works with us in those ways. God doesn't give us all the opportunity to heal others. As ministers, we're given that opportunity to heal others. But it's not us who heals. 
We're simply given the opportunity to pray for someone, to lay our hands on them and anoint them. And we ask God to do it. It's God who does it. But it's not just us. It's got to be and as in us when I say the ministry. It's got to be all of us as well. James 5.14. We know the familiar scripture here that talks about anointing. Is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over and anoint him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith. You hear that? The prayer of faith. We have to pray faithfully, but it's also according to their faith as well, just as with, with that lady that Jesus Christ healed there. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if you have committed sins, he will be forgiven. But then in verse 16, here he's talking to all of us here, where he says, confess your trespasses to one another. And, and then he goes on to say, and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see, when we pray for one another fervently, the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. This is part of what we have been given to do. This is part of the way that we use the Holy Spirit through our prayers for others. This is how we can help them. If we are all reaching out for one another and praying for one another, God will hear those prayers. He says that those effective, fervent prayers avail much. Much. Not little. Much. Are we praying for one another as we should? Or do you pray for somebody a few times and then you just kind of go on? Well, God hasn't healed them. It's been a few weeks or a few months. We should never give up. We don't ever quit. God's not a quitter. God allows us to go through trials and tests. He's going to allow people to be sick. He's going to allow people to die. That's according to His will. But individually, as individuals, we've got to make sure that we are doing our part. That we are offering up those fervent prayers for one another. Because that is part of the way that we use the Spirit that God has given us. There's a lot of things and a lot of ways we can use the Spirit. As we think about this theme of this weekend, as they talked about for the singles here, being the fruits of the Spirit. Over in Galatians 5.22, those fruits are listed. And I know that you've probably gone through these in some of the Bible studies and things. But just with what I'm talking about today, in using God's Holy Spirit, how do you use it to serve others? By producing these fruits. This isn't the only way, but these are some of the main key points that we have got to make sure that we are focusing our lives on spiritually. Love. Outgoing love. Willingness to lay down your life for another. That's a fruit of the Spirit. And having that attitude is exercising the Spirit. Using it. Loving one another. Joy. Having true joy. There's some people in life that just always seem to be big old sourpusses, aren't there? They're always complaining. Oh, this, oh, that. Is that you? Do people say, oh, that, that's just Jim. That's just John. That's just Fred. Is that you? Don't let it be you. 
Be a person of joy. Bring joy into other people's lives. Not that you're just happy for yourself and all the cool stuff that you get to do. Oh, guess what I got to do? Bring joy into others' lives. Help them to be joyful. Because through your helping others have that joy, you will also get great joy out of it. As a Christian, having God's Spirit, when you see that you've helped someone else, how much greater joy can you get than that? When you leave an individual after having spent some time with them, do you leave and they feel better about themselves, better about their lives, or worse? Which is it? Are you full of joy? Are you full of sadness and complaining? Have love. Have joy. Be a person of peace. Be long-suffering. Long-suffering. God is long-suffering, isn't he? He forgives all of our sins if we repent. Every time we make a mistake. If he wasn't long-suffering, we would have had his spirit taken away long, long ago. We better remember what kind of long-suffering that he puts up with us as he sees the things that we do. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The King James Version says faith. And we have to have both. Obviously, we have to have faith. And that is a key thing. But we also have to be faithful. And faithfulness, I think of as being more an outgoing action of having that faith but making an action based on that faith. Not just saying, okay, I'll pray for you, when you can actually go out and do something for the other individual. Do what you can. Be faithful to God, to your fellow man, to one another. Gentleness. Are you gentle? Or are you a little bit rough around the edges. Ask yourself these questions. Make sure that all of these things, having self-control being the final one that's listed here, all nine of these things are obvious, important traits that we have to have. You could have a sermon on every single one of them. My purpose here today is just to kind of stir up your mind in thinking about how important it is to make sure that you use that gift that you've been given. To make sure that you put your whole heart into it. You not hold back, but you keep going. We make sure that we are producing fruits. If we aren't producing fruit, that branch that doesn't produce fruit is thrown into that fire and it is burned up. And these are the fruits that we need to be producing. These are the fruits that really matter. These matter to us. And these matter to our great God. Say so they should matter to us. Do they? God has handpicked each and every one of us. We're not here by some accident. We're here because God chose us. He hasn't chosen us because we're such wonderful people. He's chosen us in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our faults. He's chosen us because he knows that we can succeed. God didn't call us to fail. He called us to succeed. 
He expects us to succeed. He wants us to succeed. And he has given us everything that we need to succeed. He has given us his Holy Spirit through which we can succeed if we will only use it, if we will just put it to use. Because if we don't use it, we will lose it. There's one final thing I want to look at today. And that is that as hard as it is to admit, to face up to it, the fact that we're not perfect. I know you all think I'm perfect, but I'm not. You're laughing. Okay, I guess you knew it. We aren't perfect. God has called us as imperfect, carnal human beings. We're physical. We're pulled all kinds of directions. Satan is out there trying to draw us away, trying to get us to get rid of that power that we have. He doesn't want us to have that power because he knows that as long as we have that power, we can resist him. And so he's going to do everything in his power to make sure that our power is diminished. Our carnal minds are enmity with God, aren't they? They're not pleasing to him. Our physical bodies only care about pleasing the flesh, don't they? The, the fleshly things. The fleshly lusts and desires. Is our desire to obey God and to please him stronger than our desire for the fleshly things that this world, that the God of this world offers? We've got to make sure that we've that we will use the power that God has given us to overcome Satan, to overcome all of the attacks that he makes against us. We've got to make sure that each and every day when we get up, we put on the armor of God that, so that we can resist him. Put that on. If we don't put all of it on, if we just leave part of it off, what's going to happen? Satan's going to know. He's going to see where the weaknesses are. He's weak here. She's weak there. If I can just get at him there, I can find a way in. We've got to make sure that we're doing all that we can. We're not going to be able to live perfectly. We're still going to make mistakes. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote what he did in Romans chapter 7. I, tr I take great comfort in this chapter, so to speak, because I realize when I read this, I'm not alone in the world. None of us are alone in the world. We're going to make mistakes. Romans chapter 7, verse 14, Paul writes, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Do you ever feel that way? You know you shouldn't be doing this. You know you shouldn't be saying this. But yet, what are you doing? You're saying it. You're doing it. You know it's wrong, but you still do it. You're in good company. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. He's saying this, in essence, is a physical trait. We are going to make mistakes. 
Verse 16. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. But now it is no longer I who do, but the sin who dwells in me. Verse 19. For the good that I will to do, I do not. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. He says, I really want to do what's right, but I keep getting dragged to the side. I keep getting pulled away. I want to do it, but I don't. This isn't a matter of a daily thing, hopefully. But things will happen. You will break down, so to speak, spiritually. And you will sin. It does happen. In verse 24, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He recognized, I am wretched. I am miserable. I am a poor, wretched, miserable sinner. But he recognized it. He knew, I've got to do something to change. I've got to turn around. I've got to change my ways. If God's Spirit is in us, we will realize these things. We will realize when these things begin to happen. And sometimes we'll let them go on for a little while. We will try to justify our actions because that's what human beings do. We try to justify all that we do. Well, well what's the big God won't mind this. What's the big deal? It is a big deal. It's a big deal to God when you sin. No matter how little it is, a sin is a sin. The penalty is the same. If we love God and want to please Him, we don't want these things to happen. We don't want to make mistakes, but they do. But if we have God's Spirit dwelling in us, we have something very special that others don't. You see, we have a lifeline, just like on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. We've got a lifeline to God through which we can go and we can get the help that we need. And if we repent, He will forgive us and He will help us to go on and He will give His Spirit to us so that we can be strong. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You see, if we will remember these words, we will remember what we have to look forward to. We will want to make those changes. We will want to repent because we'll realize I'm throwing it all away here if I don't turn around. I better not give up because if I do, I know what's going to happen. We have an inheritance. It's promised. God has said, this is yours. There's a crown of righteousness laid up for us. But we have to be there to get that crown. And we aren't going to be there if we aren't allowing God's Spirit to work in us and through us. As begotten sons of God, we're like a fetus in the womb. 
We are growing slowly, bit by bit. Going through those growing pains is difficult. But it's through that umbilical cord that we, in essence, are nourished, that we're strengthened, that God helps us to grow. We just got to make sure that we keep that cord attached, that we keep that attachment to Him, that we stay close to Him. We allow His Spirit to flow through us, out from us, as we serve others, as we help others, as we use that Spirit to do what is right and to do what is good. This is what our lives are all about. This is what God has called us to do. He has called us to all be parts of the body, to serve one another, to love one another, to help one another, to use that Holy Spirit so that we can become the first fruits of God's family, to gain that inheritance that he has for us. In closing, turn over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Let's begin in verse 14. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If we ask, God has promised. He will do it. Then he goes on in verse 15 to say, If you love me, keep my commandments. We heard in the sermonette about the simplicity that is in Christ. This is it right here. It's very, very simple. All we have to do is love God and Jesus Christ. Loving them means obeying them. Obeying their commandments. Keeping them. People want to throw that out. You talk about people that are blinded when you say, do you love Christ? Oh, I love Christ. Well, do you keep the Ten Commandments? Well, blah, 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 blah. They don't. This is so simple. This is the life we've been called to. To love God. To love Christ. But also to love our fellow man. And that's part of loving God and Christ. We cannot love them if we don't love our fellow man. We love our fellow man by serving him. By using God's spirit to guide and lead us. To, use, to work within us so that we can help and serve others. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever. His Holy Spirit had not yet been given when He said this, of course. But it has been. We have it now. As we go into the day tomorrow to keep the Feast of Pentecost, let's remember what that Holy Spirit is all about. What it should be doing in our lives. Let's examine ourselves and say, am I really using God's Holy Spirit? Am I allowing it to work in my life? To guide and lead me to help and to serve others? Or am I really looking out more for my own self? What is it about? Is it about me or is it about others? God's Spirit will give us the help and the power that we need to succeed in life so that we can be born as sons of God. And so, as we keep that feast of Pentecost, let's rejoice in it. Rejoice in what it means. Rejoice in the knowledge and understanding that we've been given. 
rejoice in having God's Holy Spirit working in our lives. And let's also remember that if we don't use it, we will lose it.